All right. Good morning. Anybody know what this is? You're you're probably thinking this is going to be a cool sermon illustration, but actually it's not. It was left up here on the podium yesterday uh, afternoon. I was here for a little while and I found it laying here, and I just didn't know. Did somebody leave this as a gift for me this morning, or for Earl? <laughs> Did you, Allison? Did you really? <laughs> That was so sweet. All right, I'm just going to put this right here. Very kind. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful to you that you um, love us, that you've not left us to ourselves. We thank you for the way you've expressed your goodness and your mercy to us in so many ways. Thank you so much for a new little baby born into the world um, last night, just a few few moments after midnight. We just pray that you would bless and preserve and strengthen the baby and Becca and AJ and all the family that are tired after the long, long delivery. And we pray that this morning you would strengthen us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, there's notes on the back table if you haven't gotten them yet, and this morning we're going to be starting into the um, the next session, which is the the last in the long part that's all been called, uh, What is Biblical Counseling? And it's interesting because the first four sessions that Earl and Mark taught mostly talked about what is what is not biblical counseling, <laughs> what is biblical counseling not? Um, and, you know, there's there's a fair amount of negativity in all that. And I ha- I've had a growing concern over the past uh, four weeks that, you know, it would be very easy for, for us to be sitting here going, wait, what what is going on? What's this all about? What what are we trying to do here? Because I know a lot of people in my own family and my friends. In fact, I myself have been um, to psychologists and psychiatrists and, um, you know, my my mom, my parents, my my child, my cousin have, are are medicated. And are you telling me that this is all a bunch of hogwash and that um, we shouldn't be doing this? And um, if I'm doing this, maybe I'm sinning. And so I'm I'm concerned that those kinds of questions may be bouncing around in our heads. And so rather than just plow on into the next session, um, I want to take a few minutes to. Try to see if I can get us talking about this, if, if we want to, if we need to. Um, so what I'd like to do is put on the screen um, some questions that all flow out of the material that's already been covered. And I've chosen to put this in the form of like a true and false quiz. And if we can put those on the screen now, Jan. Oh, I can do it. Wow. Look at this. There it is. Thank you. So we're just going to go through these, and what I want us to do is just read the question and think about what do, what do you think? Is that a true or a false statement? And don't worry about whether you're right or wrong. I just want us to talk about it. And I'm going to put an answer up there that's going to be a true or a false, and some of them are going to need some explanation because a lot of these questions aren't simply just yes or no. Some of it's, well, yes, but. you know. So um, if you want to talk about any of these um, while we go through them, just raise your hand, and we, we can talk about it. Because I don't want us to have 
a bunch of misgivings or uncertain lack of clarity about what we're saying what we're not saying okay so really this is i'm really hoping that this will generate some discussion so psychology is not science in the same sense that most other uh, medical disciplines i think that's supposed to say are science true or false daniel how do you define science okay good you know science is is a is an empirical a pursuit to determine if something is ultimately true or not, and it's got to be demonstrable and replicable and um, all those kinds of things that we could look up technical definitions of science. But when we say science in this context, we're talking about is psychology, um, how provable is it? How, how well-backed is it by hard data that's, that's stood the test of time? Um, how much is it more about observation and then interpretation of those observations. Uh, when you look in the, the DSM manual, do you find uh, hard science or do you find, um, look for these 20 things in a person. And if you find 10 of them, then it's a good chance that they are this. Um, those kinds of things. So I don't know if that helps. Follow-up? Um, so uh, my thing with the, the question is uh, it's a very... It's secretly a loaded question in the sense of um, for science in and of itself is uh, a method to produce um, something that we can tangibly um, put data into or put... Um, trying to get the answers to something. It's looking for the answers to what something is. Um, even with science, it is not a... You can have something that's pretty much provable, like gravity, for instance, um, but if you have a countermeasure to that thing, it can be completely thrown off or can be slightly different than what you think the interpretation is. So I'm not saying gravity isn't real or anything like that. Um, we believe it's real for how much time has been put into studying gravity and how it works, and so we've had a lot of people for ages come in and say... This this um, this is kind of how what we think gravity works, and these are different principles and laws to it, and so on. And so that's why it's a bigger uh, the law of gravity is a bigger um, uh, branch to that. Um, going into other things um, that are smaller than that, something like psychology, I, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think it's been around as long as as a lot of other studies that have been going around since the Middle Ages, and so on and so forth. Um, people have been studying the human mind and things like that, but it's there's a lot of different people who come to different conclusions on what this is and what that is. And um, you can have several people. Do you, you follow Freud? Do you follow uh, uh, Carl Jung? Do you follow, you know, so many different interpretations you can go from. And there's not really a set interpretation of, okay, who's right and who is, oh, I take a little bit from this guy and I take a little bit from that guy. And, and you know, it's it's very worldly, um, I don't know. Does that does that make sense? You really hit on a couple really important points that I want to key on too. So what we're talking about here is that psychology, that term, comes from a word "suke," which I it's either Latin or Greek. Do you remember? It's Greek, and it it refers to the soul, the immaterial part of a person. <laughs> Even in that, there's a funny little conundrum because. Modern secular psychology is based on a naturalistic worldview, which doesn't believe in the immaterial. It believes that everything is material. 
Um, and so you can't even prove uh, that there's a human soul from a naturalistic worldview. What we're talking about, when, I, when this question, and you're right, and since it is a loaded question, when we say psychology is not a science in the same sense that the other medical disciplines are, what, what we mean by that is if psychology truly is the study of the human soul, if it's the understanding of the needs of the human soul, that immaterial part of us that has trouble in this fallen world, how do we help that? How do we, how do we help the human soul? Science can't help that, <clears throat> really, any more than science can prove that there's a God. The only, the only ultimate hope for the human soul is the, the help from the helper who created the human soul. And so we can't look to psychology and for naturalistic explanations to try to help, ultimately help the human soul. That's a more complex answer to the question. It's a very nuanced discussion, I realize, but I wanted us to at least have it a little bit this morning. Anybody else want to follow up on that? Andy? Uh, it is true. It is a loaded question. Uh, but in this, the way they phrase this particular question on the screen, uh, they, 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 they intend to have more focus. And the key word is medical. So, so right now, the, the, uh, the battle is, uh, uh, is psychology uh, ad- admissible uh, in the field of medical. That's the key word that in this, how they phrase this question. Yes. Yeah. Is psychology, and so, you know, psychology is a, it's a, it's a, it's a study. It is a discipline to study the human brain and the inner workings of the human brain and the human psyche, the, the way that people think and feel and emote, cognitive reasoning skills, all of those things. Psychology is a science. It's just not a perfect science. Truth be told, even general medicine isn't a perfect science. How many of you have been to the doctor and gotten a diagnosis for something and found out the doctor was wrong? Okay? So we would, you know, we wouldn't, you wouldn't go to your doctor and just take everything he says verbatim without questioning it because you recognize there's, there's flaws in the... Uh, there's a fly in the ointment? Okay. Yeah. All right, let, let's go on. <clears throat> so I would say that's true, but it cer- certainly needs a lot of explanation what we mean by that, right? <clears throat> Next question. Psychology is founded on a secular worldview. It's true. It is. When you look at Freud and, and all of the other founders, they were generally secularists. They, they did not ascribe to uh, a theistic worldview. Okay. From this perspective, psychology draws conclusions and offers counsel that is often unbiblical. Always unbiblical? No. Completely and totally wrong? No. To be thrown in the trash can wholesale? No. But to, to use discretion and discernment as you go through the exercise of dealing with psychological um, conclusions? Yes. I really want to take as much time as we feel we can and need to to work through any of these if you guys want to talk about them. Psychology is harmful because it excuses sin and denies personal responsibility. True. 
true without any exception, true without any caveats? No, there, that needs to be explained. And he's going to explain it for us. <laughs> this, the way they phrase this question is also there's two parts to it. Harmful is one. And then the second part is, uh, you know, the second part is true, but harmful. Okay. Is there any sense in which psychology can be harmful? Secular, humanistic, Freudian assumptions. Could you, could you buy into that statement? So let me say first that this is a very uncomfortable conversation for me because this is what I deal with, right? Um, But I I don't know that psychology, well, denying personal responsibility. So there's some things that aren't my responsibility, but there are other things that people have done to me that aren't my responsibility. And so... uh, there's a lot of things that I can explain to somebody who's not a Christian. But somebody who's a Christian, I would explain it a different way. So, uh, women's, um, our women's conference or whatever you call it that we had, uh, we had a guest speaker and she talked about how when her kids are screaming and she's watching TV and she gets mad at them that she's showing her idolatry because her comfort is more important than her children. And so I can see, I could put that into biblical terms. But if, if I'm not talking to somebody who's Christian, I can also put that in secular terms, in that you think you're better than your children. You're putting yourself first. So, so for me, I think like... Like, all of these questions are like, yeah, but But I also see that, um, because I have, I've had heard people who psychologists have told them things that were completely harmful. Um, So it's a matter of going to somebody who who really knows what they're doing. Um, But you can do that with a doctor. You can go to a doctor who will give you a completely wrong diagnosis. but I think that that being able to think right, for me, psychology is about thinking right. Um, and thinking right has to do with trusting in God and knowing that and having that Christian background, right? Because saying, like, you think you're better than whatever situation is happening, you're frustrated with that person because they're not doing something in the time that you believe that they should be doing it. But being able to call that sin, it takes it to a whole never, another whole nother level. Yeah, that's a great point. You brought up the thing about how you would respond to a believer as opposed to a non-believer. And we're going to get into that more later in the series about, you know, is there any sense in which we can, as Christians, can even counsel unbelievers in a biblical way, you know? Do you guys ever, do you ever remember listening to Dr. Laura on the radio? What made Dr. Laura so popular, so intriguing for so many people? I would say because she was the exception to the rule within the world of, of uh, secular psychological counseling. She was willing to, t- to say people, 
you need to take responsibility for your actions here. You're, right, you're blaming everybody else for what's going on in your life, but you need to man up and take responsibility for what you're doing wrong, right? Isn't that what... And people get mad because she was telling them the truth. Um, why was that so unusual? Because it is unusual. Generally, within the context of secular psychology, is an attempt to make the person feel good. It's, th- it's supposed to be therapeutic. And so, yeah, the couch. So again, are we saying that everything about it's harmful? No. Are we saying that everything they say is wrong? No. We're trying to help us understand that there is a profound difference between a whole worldview that's built around God being removed from the equation, man being brought to the forefront and to the center, and the whole goal is to make you feel and be better, but without the, the, the substance to treat the soul with the thing that it needs the most. So one of the things that that I see, though, is that someone who's been traumatized, who's somebody has done wrong against them, and then because of that, they act a certain way, and then Christians saying, well, that's sin, right? So it might be sin, but we need to deal with the trauma, and then deal with your actions because of that trauma. Because, yeah, we have to change the way that we behave, but we have to understand why we behave the way we behave. That's why this makes me uncomfortable. Um, Because trauma causes your behavior to, to change. And the way that you act in things is based on the trauma that you experienced. And saying that, starting off by saying that what you're doing is sin and you need to stop doing it doesn't help unless you understand that the reason you're doing it. So for me, um, one of the eye-opening experiences for me is I I had an incident happen, and uh, my psychologist said, "Mm, that's not the guy who hurt you. Why are you treating him like the guy who hurt you? And so I think that people who come from trauma have to understand that when you're traumatized, you treat everybody as if they're the person who hurt you, and they're not. And so I think that being able to understand, so for me, being able to understand that, like, opened all kinds of, of stuff for me. Like, yeah, you aren't my abuser, you're just a jerk. And I need to learn how to say, yeah, I need to step away from that trauma and, and understand why my behavior is what it is, and then I can deal with the fact that that's sin. Well said, Carrie. I and I agree with you 100%. And I think a true biblical counselor would too. Um, you started out by saying, <clears throat> you know, it's wrong for people to say to people who are in trauma, um, you just need to stop sinning. You're right. We would not say that. We would not espouse that kind of a response. We would definitely biblical counseling would definitely say, let's look at what happened to you and how you're suffering and why you're suffering and what's the cause of that. And what's God's goal in that for you? And then how should you respond to that? I mean, that's, that's biblical counseling right there. Biblical counseling is not to say, stop sinning. I'm not saying that there are people that would say that. But, but that's not biblical counseling. Great point. Um, we've kind of already been saying this. Psychology cannot produce meaningful and lasting change. <clears throat> True or false? Okay, you want to, Daniel? Uh, I would say it's false in the sense of there can be meaningful and lasting change from um, 
from almost there, good things can come from many places, and God can sometimes use many ways to have good things happen. Um, I believe that if if psychology might be there, there's times where um, somebody generally wanting good for somebody else might be able to God can miraculously do something to cause someone's good in, in someone's life. Um, I would say as a general whole, having to say psychology produces meaningful and lasting changes is not necessarily true. Um, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say what I'm trying to say. But uh, th- what I'm trying to say mostly is that there there can be times, um, even if it is small, where good things can happen from psychology if somebody is um, is... It's not always in the meaning of something or intention. Sometimes God causes good things to happen anyway, despite our actions. Or to, even if the 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 teaching isn't isn't right, sometimes it will slightly line up with something biblical, even if not on purpose. Um, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't align that by saying that all psychology is good and we should be fine with everything that happens from it and all the teachings are fine. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> Carrie, did you want to elaborate? So again, I think we need to go back to the good therapist and the bad therapist, right? So I've heard therapists tell people things that were hurtful for them and for people around them. But I think if I can get you to think different, then there's going to be meaningful change. If you're a Christian and I can get you to understand that what you're doing is sin there can be meaningful change. Right? So but so with with this with the secular though, because we're not talking about sin, it's more talking about selfishness. So when I talk like at work, I will try to talk about how it, that makes you fe- that makes you think that you're better than somebody. Cuz everybody will agree that thinking you're better than somebody is bad. And so when you get frustrated with that person, it's because you think that they should know something that they don't know. That means you think you're better than them. So I think that there's, if it's done correctly, there can be meaningful and lasting change. I think there's a lot of resistance to change. Um, There are plenty of people who would rather stay in their trauma. Because then I can blame the way I am on the way I was raised, on my parents, on my grandparents, on the world in general, and so they want to stay there. So it's, it's definitely a dance between the psychologist and the person who's coming in for that, whether or not they really want that change. Okay. Andy? I'm wondering, well, who is the author of these questions? Is it you? Me. That's right. All the questions are loaded with Pharisees in there. <laughs> psychology, we can claim it as psychology. What we do is psychology. So when you phrase the question like that, you know, you cannot come up with, a, with an answer. Right, good point. So my goal here wasn't to come up with the answer. My goal was to get us to talk, and look what's happening. So some of these questions are loaded with nuanced ideas and, <clears throat> and even patent untruths 
some of them are are just it's impossible to put enough verbiage in there to create the perfect question so that there could be no pitfalls, no traps, no misunderstandings. So we use short words like psychology that has a whole world of meaning behind it. We don't have time to put all that definition up there, but it's getting us talking. This is what I wanted. <clears throat> so I think that's true in this sense. <clears throat> if psychology, if we're going to boil this down to this simple definition for our discussion. If psychology is a worldview that offers people solutions for their soul problems, that's what we mean by psychology. A worldview that generally takes exception to God being the ultimate solution. Then it cannot produce meaningful and lasting change in the ultimate sense. You might say, but I've seen people be helped by psychology. I believe you have. I believe that someone's at a level, at a level 10 pain, that pain could be brought down to 5 or even 2 or maybe even zero. But for how long and to what end? If a person is suffering from um, a disorder like anorexia because they have been traumatized in some way and they bought into this idea that the, the answer is to control their intake and look different, <clears throat> if they're helped through psychology to not do that anymore, and they move on, but they haven't had the issue, the, the root, the fundamental issue, the idolatry that drives the, the anorexia, then they'll substitute that for something else. That something else might be a wonderful hobby like collecting seashells. But if that's the new idolatry, then that will ultimately lead to their ruin. So if you're saying, but I don't really care about people being ultimately helped, of course everybody needs God, I just want people to feel better. And I know that I know people that have gone to psychologists and have gotten therapy and medication and they feel better. You're going to tell me that's not meaningful and lasting change? That's right. That's what I'm going to tell you. I I don't want that to hurt your feelings, but I want you to understand that the goal of biblical counseling is to help people get to the ultimate goal, and that's God's agenda for them. And if they do, then in this life, in this moment, in this light and momentary affliction that we're in, they will escape all kinds of trauma. God will help them. So, again, these are not complete, perfect, end-all answers, but I'm, I'm wanting us to discuss. A Christian should not go to a psychologist. <clears throat> now, on this one, I could put true or false because it's so nuanced. You have to go to a psychologist. Often you have to go to your doctor and then get referred to a psychologist and then get referred to a psychiatrist, maybe just to get some medication that you need to balance um, a hormonal imbalance, a chemical imbalance that you have in your brain. What, what I mean by this question is, should a Christian look to a psychologist to find the, the therapeutic answers that he needs, that she needs to deal with the real trauma of life? What do you think? Carrie? So I find this a difficult question because having Christianity as a basis going into psychology, if you're talking about the way things need to be changed, you're okay, so I don't want to be general, but it would be it would be hoped that you're basing what you're learning and what you already know about Christianity 
what you know about your faith and perhaps also seeking out pastoral counsel on how that relates biblically, right? So I'm going to look at something that the psychologist is straightening out for my think, straightening my thinking out, but that's always going to be based in what I believe, right? So for me, so, so it's a difficult for me, something for me, and um, so for me, when when I was dying. And I went to the psychologist, right? And got well. I went to my doctor and got medicated, and then went to the psychologist. The thinking always, the underlying thinking was always Christianity, and I don't. I it, so it took me a while to put, to realize uh, to be able to call certain things sin, because it takes a while to work through what happened to me and how that affected my behavior, and my behavior wasn't necessarily. For me, in the beginning, I'm not going to call it sin because I'm just reacting. It's once I realize why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting that I can call it sin, right? Because now I'm going to take personal responsibility for it. Um, this thing with the the late the conference where the lady equated it with the idolatry, right? I'm not fighting that. I'm saying that makes perfect sense. Now I understand because my thinking has changed, and for me it's always about pride. So I act the way I do because I think I'm better than you. That's why I get frustrated. Being able to turn that into idolatry just takes me to the uh, to the next step. And so understanding that, like it's it steps. Like God doesn't reveal to us everything at one time, and so I'm going to find out that my thinking is wrong, which I can call sin change my actions because I now I can call that sin and then changing that definition to a higher definition to a higher definition because we don't all come to the conclusion of sin all at once it's a process right and but but for me like saying like oh the way you react is sin when I'm reacting because of my abuse and and being able to understand that yeah, people act the way they do because they've been hurt. And then being able to help them unpack that. So I'm not the person who hurt you. This situation isn't what hurt you. And let's look at thinking right and thinking right biblically. Yeah, you've <clears throat> you've said so much there that's so germane to this discussion. And um, <clears throat> Lord willing, with... His grace, we're going to work through a lot of those ideas. The Bible doesn't deny the reality of human trauma at all. But the Bible immediately goes to the reality that no human trauma is outside of the whole purpose of God and that human trauma is, is... trauma in our lives, trials are, are, are God's instrument to reveal to us and to a watching world needs, what needs to be revealed. And so most likely that trauma trials the, the, the fire of life shows us something that we need to see about ourselves. And with God's grace, with God's help, 
than we, we, that's used to turn us to him. I don't know that any secular psychologist would be willing to say that. A Christian psychologist would be willing to say it with a lot of caveats. Anyway, there's, there's so much there to talk about, but thank you, Carrie. Um, we're going to press on. Real, okay, Daniel, then we're going we're gonna to go ahead and finish up here. Sorry, I just... No, you're good. To, this is what we wanted. Um, I, I can only talk um, from my personal experience. I can't talk for anybody else. So, um, But uh, I've, I have anxiety and uh, fears and um, among other problems and stuff like that. So um, I've only talked about it with a few people, but um, I've been told a few times, oh, you should just see a psychiatrist or you should see a psychologist and they'll help you. They'll make everything fine. And um, I've always felt like, mm, I don't know, you know, because... I, there's that worldview in there, and it's not it won't won't align with mine. Um, as a Christian, I know that it's going to be very worldly and very. I've been told biblical counseling, and I've thought about biblical counseling, but um, as a Christian, I can't I can't personally. It just and this, like I said, I'm speaking from my from where I'm at um, and what I've dealt with, but I, I can't I can't personally go to a psychologist and expect um, that I'm going to have um, something change, or even if if even if they help with any of my problems. Um, there's always going to be that conflicting worldview of, of, um, where, where these problems come from and, um, what I should do about them. And I wouldn't trust a psychologist to be able to fix that. I would want to go to somebody who's going to tell me from scripture of, um, this is what it says in scripture about these things and about other things. And then if it's, it goes beyond just, if it's something more medical, which I'm not saying it is, but if it's something like that's more medical, you have a, you have a, something in your brain that doesn't doesn't work the way it's supposed to that's when you need something medical to solve that problem but for if it's something spiritual um i i wouldn't go to a psychologist to try to fix that problem okay thank you i think that my answer is here's going to be true which is not actually what i yeah so i think that this is generally false because it can be necessary to go to a psychologist in order to get often get a referral to a psychiatrist to get medical treatment. So I don't think you could make a patent statement that says you should never go to a psychologist. I just think we need to understand what are the pitfalls there. Carrie? So this is what I don't like about this conversation, is that that's exactly what happens, is that people say, well, I have anxiety and I'm dealing with trauma, but I'm not going to go to a psychologist because they can't help me. When in fact... I, because a psychologist is going to give you more, like, how to cope. How do you cope with that anxiety? And you're, I don't know that you get that from anywhere else. Um, and I, I, so I think patent, patently what, what a Christian would say is, oh, you have anxiety? Anxiety is unbelief. Just start believing that God can handle that. But I think that there's also ways that you can cope with being able to handle it that helps you get through so the anxiety is not so so severe. Um, like, like seri- I mean, and because it's my story, right? I come from severe trauma. I did a lot of things based on my behavior based on my trauma. And if somebody, if some, and Christians are, I'm sorry, but Christians are the worst when it comes to trauma. 
Like, that's sin. Stop sinning. Like, how do I stop sinning? Like, this is, like, somebody hurt me. This is my trauma. And if somebody's just saying, like, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning, like, that doesn't help me. Helping me is, this is why you behave the way you behave. Somebody hurt you. And because they hurt you, you have to protect yourself. And in order to protect yourself, you've come up with these unhealthy coping skills. So how do we help you cope in a healthy way? Then how do I look at, now that you, now that you understand why you behave the way you behave, now how can I put that in biblical terms? Um, but my fear is always around these that then what we're telling people, whether we want to or not, is don't go to a psychologist because they're not going to help you. Right? I don't know that that's true. And there are Christian psychologists out there. Fortunately, the psychologist I went to <clears throat> was fantastic, um, but also got his, his training at Fuller Seminary. So um, he had that biblical background. Um, and so he was able to say things to me like, uh, oh, like, I wish things wouldn't have happened that way. And if they would have done this way, oh, really? So you think you're God? Oh, yeah, I guess I'm, I was thinking that, right? Um, and so somebody who would like, when you get to that point where you can deal with it, that then we can start saying that's sin, that's idolatry, that's you thinking that you can control everything, and you, so you think you're God because you think you can control everything, right? But not everybody's ready for that. Like, you're ready for that when God makes you ready for that. But I think, like, telling, like, staying away from a psychologist when you really need help is about, is, is harmful. Yep. That's, um, that's an understandable view. And a lot of people hold that view. Um, I do not. And hopefully we'll be able to work through why there's a difference between your perspective and, and my perspective and do it in a, a gracious, God-honoring way. Um, we've got more questions, but we don't have time to go through them. I think what we'll do is we'll try to answer, we'll try to do some more of these questions next week. Um, but we have exactly 20 minutes, and that's how long we have to watch this section of the video. So let's go ahead and just start the video, and then we, um, we won't have any time for any follow-up questions at the end. But um, let's pray for God's grace as we watch the video. There are several key concepts in in biblical counseling. I've come up with 10. That's uh, my number. You could have 50. You could have five and combine them in different ways. But this is a summary of what it's about. So what is biblical counseling? First of all, biblical counseling is God-centered. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, in all things we want to be pleasing to him. He writes also that whatever you do should be done for the glory of God. And this is a real break we would make with secular psychology. When someone comes to a secular psychologist, kind of like, what can we do for you? What is your goal in, in our meeting with you? And, and the counselee would set the agenda. Uh, I had a woman come to me one time who was an exotic dancer living with a Muslim boyfriend, and she wanted me to help her get along better with her Muslim boyfriend. By the way, later I'll mention I do not counsel women alone. There's one reason why. Um, but it, her goal, and, and there might have been some communication techniques or problem-solving techniques you could have told her 
that she could get along better, and that would have been what she wanted. But no, my job as a biblical counselor is what would God have to say to this woman? And, and first of all, if she professes to be a Christian, there are things about her life that she needs to repent of and to come in subordination to God. She certainly doesn't want to be yoked to an unbeliever. She doesn't want to be involved in fornication or tempting others. So it's not about the happiness of the counselee. It's not about the counselee achieving in life what he or she wants. And, and the question that a counselor has to continually be asking himself, and I think it's also something we continually ask the counselee, is not what do you want, but what does God want here? And that often makes counseling pretty simple. Second of all, biblical counseling is founded on sound theology. It's built on a solid understanding of Scripture and what the Bible teaches about God and about man. Uh, when, if you want to be certified in biblical counseling by the national certifying organization, NANC, uh, you have a counseling exam, but there's an entire theology exam. Because every aspect of theology relates to counseling. Theology isn't just something abstract and intellectual. That, and, and we're going to go through this later, how understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit is vital in counseling people. Understanding the nature of man and his fallenness. Understanding how God works in sanctification. Understanding how the attributes of God uh, comfort us and instruct us. So theology needs to be known well to be able to help people. You need to know your Bible and what it says about God. Third, biblical counseling confronts sin as the source of mankind's spiritual problems. That being made in God's image, as we've already talked about, but that part of what that reminds us about understanding human nature is that we are not merely physical beings. We have both body and soul. And it's actually the soul that controls the body. It's from the heart that we act. It's what's inside of you in, in terms of your spiritual nature. But mankind is also fallen. The way things are is not normal or good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Adam, all have died. And so the spiritual problems we face are directly related to sin. Sometimes the, the sin may be somebody else's sin and how we have to deal with that sin. But even then, we could deal with it sinfully or righteously. But sin is at the root of the problem. Uh, we're going to have to confront sin. Uh, in, in Acts 17, when Paul was speaking uh, to unbelievers in Athens, Paul declares, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. You can't be in right relationship with God. You can't correct the problems of your soul unless you repent of sin and submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. Now, it's also true, actually, that all other problems are because of sin. Uh, death is in the world. Sickness is in the world because of sin. It doesn't mean because of your sin. In John 9, Jesus said the man born blind. It wasn't because he sinned or his parents sinned. It was ultimately for the glory of God. And there's sickness and there's death and there's trouble in the world. And you know, people's physical problems, even uh, you know, if someone has Alzheimer's or schizophrenia, you say, well, that's because Adam fell that our bodies are deteriorating, even if those particular problems are not caused by uh, personal sin. But as we face physical problems, as we face the effects of, of sin, and it could just be pain, uh, anything, 
that also will always raise a spiritual issue of how do I deal with living in a fallen body in a fallen world. Then fourth, and and this is probably the most important that I'll say, is that biblical counseling is Christ-centered and redemptive. Biblical counseling is not just a bunch of morality and a bunch of rules. Do this, don't do that. And we're going to have a whole lecture about how people change and how change begins with the gospel. And, of course, first that means you need to be converted. Romans 8 says the, 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 the man who is of the flesh cannot obey God, cannot please God. And if our goal is to please God, first and foremost, it's through Christ who makes us pleasing to God by his redemption and saving us that we're, we're brought into relationship with God and then through that we, we gain his spirit by which now we're enabled to do the things of God. Likewise, as 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, that the things of God are foolishness to the natural man, that an unbeliever can't even understand them. And so it's through the redemption in Christ is that we as sinners, though our sin is great, that Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that it's this redemption which brings forgiveness. But then whoever is in Christ is a new creation. We're going to talk about in Romans 6 how a believer, having been united with Christ in his death and resurrection, now can consider himself to be dead to sin and alive to God. And what I'll say to you is that if if you've been in a counseling session and you've been talking very much and you haven't been using the Bible even for a few minutes, don't call yourself a biblical counselor. But I would also say, if you've been in a session and you've not brought your counselee to Christ and used the gospel, don't tell them that we trained you. (laughs) Your biblical counseling is always going to come back to Christ. The solution is going to lie near the cross and and the gospel. When when you're embittered and you're angry, how can I forgive? Well, I can forgive, as Ephesians 4.32, I can overcome bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor. Forgiving others as God and Christ has forgiven me. To love others as God has loved me through the gospel. So biblical counseling is redemptive. It's not just rules and morality. Don't do this, do that. Rules and morality don't change people. All the rules do. The law reveals how sinful we are, but the law can't change us. It's what Christ has done for us that enables us to be changed. And then fifth, biblical counseling aims at the heart. Again, we're not behaviorists. It's not just a matter of change your actions and deal with merely the external issues, and, and that, that'll take care of everything. In Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, that which, verse 20, that which proceeds out of the heart is what defiles the man. From within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications and thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And in the context here, Jesus is dealing with the Jews and they had the idea, well, if you eat unclean food, that makes you unclean. And and, and Jesus is saying, no. And he declared foods clean. He said that the point is not what comes into you, that, that makes you unclean. It, it's what's inside of you. And, and even applying it to our lives, that you may be provoked by your spouse from the outside. But 
it's your heart that's going to produce the action. And actually being provoked is kind of like squeezing you to find out what's on the inside. And when you're squeezed by circumstances and everybody's going to have trials, what causes, what causes the man to give in to the woman at work who's available sexually, uh, which would be adultery? It's not the external temptation. It's the state of his heart. The heart is the issue. And so we're not just trying to change people's behavior. It's that the heart needs to be addressed. What are the heart's desires that are contrary to God? What's the heart desiring more than God, which is leading the heart to take you know, the, the inner self to lead the body into sin? And so we're addressing the heart both as what in your heart has led you to do this, and then how can the heart be addressed that there would be change? And, and we're going to, as the course continues, go through very particular issues. What are the heart issues behind anger? What are the heart issues in a conflict? What are the heart issues in someone who's consumed by worry and fear? And how does the Bible help you? Which is number six. Biblical counseling is based upon the all-sufficient and infallible scriptures that we are about the Bible. And, and it can be tempting when you're a counselor. You know the right answers and and you're talking to somebody, and I'll find myself sometimes I'm telling them answers that I know are biblical, but not using the Bible sometimes. Well, we want to be using the Scripture that people can see. It's not just that you're a little bit wiser than average so you can help them with their problems practically, but that God has spoken in His Word. And the only authority you have is that which you can prove from the Bible. And so... Uh, you want to be constantly using the scriptures. I'll find myself sometimes when the counselee is saying even the right thing. Uh, last night a counselee was saying some good things and I would interrupt him and say, well, here's a verse for that and here's a verse for that. That this isn't, just isn't something you figured out. It's not something even that I wisely told you. It's something God revealed long ago to help you. And, and, and believing in the sufficiency of scripture, we believe whatever comes through the door God has an answer in the Bible. Now, sometimes I may have to say to a counselee, I know the Bible has an answer. Give me some time and I'll look for it. Uh, less often, the more experience you have. But the problems of people remain the same. Human nature remains the same. Life in its essence. Technology has changed. Human nature has not. The answers are there, and that's where we need to search. And then biblical counseling, number seven, is, is relies upon the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says how the natural man can't even understand the things of of God, of the Spirit of God, because they're spiritually appraised, they're spiritually understood. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus says is is the great counselor. He's the one who convicts of sin. He's the one who brings to mind the things that God has said. And so, actually, one of the words for the Spirit, he's, he's the counselor for us. And he's the one, as, as the word goes forth, as the, the counselor is declaring the word, it's the spirit who is helping the counselor. We, we, we counsel in dependence upon the spirit to help us to find the scriptures, to explain the scriptures. And then we depend upon the spirit to work in the heart of the counselee to embrace the truth. And, and that's a great work of God. Uh, I've had a couple cases recently. I had a case where, a couple cases where you had people who had been a couple where there has been conflict going on for decades of marriage and both were hopeless and is they were shown how the bible uh, addresses especially in the gospel to make them people of grace instead of judgment 
and to, to love each other as God has loved them and to forgive as they've been forgiven and all this just amazing change. And, and brother, this is just amazing. And, and yet somebody else we may counsel and it seems to get nowhere. And what's the explanation? Well, the Spirit blows where He will and He works powerfully. There's nothing you will learn in this course in terms of technique that's going to fix everybody. We declare the Word with the Spirit's help, and it's the Spirit who moves in the hearts of those with whom we speak. And eighth, biblical counseling is gentle and compassionate. We'll talk about this when we talk about methodology. Uh, Some have wrongly given biblical counseling a bad name, saying we kind of beat people over the heads with our Bibles and are always condemning and judging. Um, We, in our counseling, desire to be Christ-like. And he was very gentle and very patient with his disciples. And, and we, we really yearned to show them the compassion and the grace. You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's gentle and compassionate. And, and, and we as fellow sinners know what it is to struggle with sin. Uh, we also, in our gentleness and compassion, will deal with different people in different ways. We're sensitive to them. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. There may be some people who do need to be admonished firmly. Yes, humbly, graciously, but firmly. Uh, the man who is about to leave his wife and harm his children and break the hearts of so many needs the firmness that the scripture would say. Others, you have uh, the woman who is just struggling in her faith and she's not measuring up to what her husband expects, what she expects of herself. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Uh, but we should be gentle. And you know, one of our verses is, and, and we use a lot, you'll hear a lot, is in Galatians 6, how even if someone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. And then biblical counseling is not just for an elite group of professionals who are highly trained. Uh, that all of us, in a sense, have this responsibility. In Romans 15, verse 14, is actually the verse from which J. Adams got the title of his first book on counseling, Competent to Counsel, where Paul writes to the Romans, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. And that word admonish is the Greek word nutheteo, from which if you've heard the term nuthetic counseling, that's where we... Uh, get that word, and when we we use that word, it, it's in that verse. But some people call themselves biblical counselors who mix other things, and so you know, nuthetic counselors are the one who are relying on the word. But part of nuthetic counseling is that every believer has a responsibility to be involved in the lives of one another, husbands and wives together, people in community in the church. Paul doesn't say, "I'm confident that your leaders are able to admonish you," but that. All of you, he says, I'm confident that you're filled with goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel, admonish, encourage each other. Uh, I've had people come up to me and say, well, I could never be a counselor. And my answer will be, actually, you already are a counselor. The question is whether you're a good one or a bad one. That you have friends who seek your advice. You have children 
sisters, brothers. People tell you their problems. People ask you questions. They they dump on you whatever's going on in their lives. And even your silence may be indicating approval. And so all of us are involved in each other's lives. And that's also true that there will be some who are more highly trained. That's one reason we have this course, is our desire would be that everybody in the church would be at a certain level able to help one another, but that some would be more than others, like Titus talks about the older women helping the younger women, the elders as the shepherds of the flock should be able to handle almost anything. But every believer is involved. And one thing that actually might comfort you a little bit is if if you were to watch us counsel, and you would observe us, and I've had this reaction from people who are observing, and says, well, that's not something new. You're just saying what Paul might have said. I knew those verses. Uh, it's, it's not brain surgery. It's not some mystical, Gnostic, secret knowledge that only counselors have. It's, it's really taking the basic principles of the Bible and applying it to people's lives. And sometimes what's quite remarkable is I've had a lot of experience recently counseling people who are in full-time ministry who know the Bible well, but just taking the principles they already knew and showing them how they're failing to use those principles, like how God has been so gracious to us, like the the servant who's been forgiven the 10,000 talents, and he wants us to be gracious to others when they wrong us. Well, the guy knew that, but he didn't see that he was totally failing in relation to his own wife in, in doing that. So biblical counseling is something all of us who are believers to a certain extent can do. We want to be learning more. Every one of us wants to be learning more so we can study the Bible and be able to help each other better. And then 10th is that biblical counseling ideally takes place within the context of the local church. God has gathered his people into local communities of believers in the church. And in the church, he's set shepherds who are to be people who care for the souls of of others. But also we're in community together. And, And when you face great problems in life. And it it could be bereavement. It could be illness. It can be family problems with children or spouse. Or when personally you're going through times of great struggle, God's design is that you would be part of a body. And then the the, the church as that community and different people using their gifts and showing love and bearing the fruit of the Spirit would, would help and encourage each other. And so for, for us as IBCD, we actually do some counseling as a counseling center. But the reason we do it is we want people from churches who are going to be leaders in churches to observe the counseling so they can go into their churches and, and do this work. And uh, one reason we do counseling through a counseling center is there are many churches that don't counsel their people or aren't equipped. Now, our desire would be when you come for counseling, bring somebody from your church. We want to train them too. All right, Um, we're out of time. Thank you so much for uh, participating this morning in the discussion. And um, next week, we'll think we'll do some more of those questions and see if we can talk some more about some of these things that are pressing on us as uh, we go through this. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time together this morning. I pray that you would encourage our hearts, uh, direct our minds, and ultimately. Uh, provoke us to love you above all else and uh, our neighbor and anyone that you've put in our path around us this morning. May you be glorified and honored even as we uh, go to fellowship now in Jesus' name. Amen.